A great philosopher of the internet once said, Always be yourself, unless you can be Batman. Always be Batman. While neither of us are Terry McGinnis and will likely never be Batman, we can live vicariously through him in his many comic adventures. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. Welcome to Bat Books for Beginners. My name is John. My name is Dylan. This is episode 147, covering Birds of Prey, Catwoman, and Oracle. If you're new to the show, we're going to discuss things we didn't like about the story, followed by things we did like. But first, we have Education Alley. And this is only two issues. So in issue one, Val, who's the main villain of this story, calls Burnham Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes lived from 1905 to 1976 and was a business tycoon, aviator, and philanthropist, among many other things. He built the world's largest wooden airplane, the Spruce Goose, which you can tour in McMinnville, Oregon, which is about an hour southwest of Portland. And I've been there. It's it's a really, really good museum. That's pretty rad. Um, it has a lot of great aviation and uh, space program history on display. And he was also a key figure in a couple movies, The Rocketeer and the prime subject of the movie, The Aviator. Played by Leonardo DiCaprio, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was really good in that film. It was a really good movie. Highly recommend it worth checking out and i highly recommend the rocketeer although yeah, i haven't watched it in a long time i don't know if it holds up but they are doing and i think they're doing another rocketeer movie yeah i've heard it's, it's either a remake or a sequel i haven't heard exactly which but it's supposed to have a uh, african-american female lead yeah that's gonna be pretty rad i'm looking forward to that all right and also in issue one we have the vampire calls catwoman katzchen which is a german for little cat so there's your language for the week. <laughs> yes, that, that will be on your foreign language exam later in the podcast. Yes. All right, in issue two, McLaughlin and Novick Streets. Frank McLaughlin is an artist who worked on Batman, Detective, Robin, Shadows of the Bat, and many other comics in his 30-plus year career. We have Skell yet again, and this is referring to the vampire. It has two definitions. One is a person who is homeless, a vagrant, or a derelict. And two is a slang term for small-time criminals that originated in the 1960s. And the term derives from the 17th century English word skelder, which was taken from the Dutch word skelm, which is a word meaning a villain or a rogue. We really need to look back and see how many times the word skells come up. (laughs) I know in the stuff that we've recorded for both this podcast and Arc Reactions that this is about the fourth or fifth time. Because I've I've done a search through our notes to to pull the information a few different times. (laughs) All right. Oracle references Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window. Which is um, my wife's, one of her favorite movies, by the way. Oh, yeah, I love that movie, it's too. It's great. So it's, it's a 1954 Alfred Hitchcock film where Jerry Stewart's character has a broken his leg and is confined to a wheelchair. He watches his neighbors out of his rear window and becomes convinced that one of his neighbors has murdered his wife. I don't want to ruin the movie for you, so I won't tell you the conclusion, even though it's uh, from 1954. But the film received four Academy Award nominations. It was ranked number 42 on AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies list. And I was in high school, I think, when that list came out, because I remember watching the, the the show on CBS for the list. And um, I had not seen number one on the list, which was um, Citizen Kane. Oh, wow. <laughs> uh, so I watched it shortly thereafter. Um, and it, that's a good movie, too. Yeah, that's a good one. But yeah, Rear Window, highly recommend. Really does hold up. 
Um, also in this issue, there's a singer in the nightclub who's singing about Sid and Marty Croft. Uh, this is a sibling team of television producers who were inf- influential in children's television and variety show programs in the U.S., particularly throughout the 1970s and early 80s. The show that I remember them for are the 70s and 90s versions of Land of the Lost, and the 90s version was one of my favorite shows as a kid, and then I, of course, came to the 70s version later. Yeah, it's a good show, too. Both of them are pretty good. I mean, it, it definitely doesn't age well. But oh, the seven fun. the seventies one is at what claymation? Yeah, I think it's claymation, and the nineties one was like really, really bad early CGI. Was it? I thought it was a guy in a suit. Was it a guy in a suit? I can't remember now. Yeah, I don't either. That's I've... over twenty years yeah. ago. <laughs> God, we're old. All right, next one we have is the vampire is asked by the Dietrich like singer he obsessed over in part one, Marlene Dietrich lived from 1901 to 1992 and was a German-American actress and singer. She maintained popularity throughout her long show business career by continually reinventing herself, professionally and characteristically. She was a silent film star in Germany in the 20s and became a star in the talkies in the 30s in Hollywood. When World War II broke out, she became a high-profile frontline entertainer. After the war, she performed in live stage shows. Her career ended in 1975 when she fell off the stage and broke her thigh bone, which is kind of impressive considering how strong the thigh bone is. Yeah, and she recovered. That's, I mean, yeah. she, she did, I think, one movie after that in 1979. But, I mean, as far as touring and pretty much the majority of her career, that that was kind of the final final straw there. And yeah. she was also how old at that point? Uh, 74? She, yeah, she was 74, which is impressive to be performing at that age. But, yeah, I, I don't that's, – that's, that's a feat to break a thigh bone, man. Dang. Uh, the villain Val, as we, we mentioned earlier, calls herself carnivora, as in Philidae carnivora. Zoologically speaking, cats belong to the family Philidae and the order carnivora. So, of course, she's modeling herself after Catwoman. So, it makes sense. She went. I, I like her name better than I like Catwoman's, honestly. Yeah, I, I like carnivora as a villain name. Yeah, even as a hero name, like an anti-hero. That's a cool name. That's brilliant. Certainly better than Cheetah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or Chitara, or... <laughs> All right, so finally we have the name Valerie Luton. It is the name of one of the characters in the Final Destination series portrayed by Christian Clock. She's in movie one, two, and five of that series. Also, he is a Russian-American novelist, film producer, and screenwriter who lived from 1904 to 1951. He produced a bunch of low-budget horror movies for RKO Studios, he wrote three movies that the famous Bo- Boris Karloff starred in, Isle of the Dead, The Body Snatcher, and Bedlam. He is the subject of the documentary film Martin Scorsese Presents Val Luton, The Man in the Shadows. So that's something I... I uh, well, the reason those came up is I was trying to find the TV Tropes page for this story. And when I Googled the name, those came up. I'm like, wow, that's kind of strange. So I had to share that with John. All right, guys, so... Now we're done with Education Alley, we're going to move on to our talking points, and as always, we're going to begin with the bad things, things we didn't like in the story. Yeah, and the the primary bad thing we have about this story is that Ryder Burnham, who's, I guess, the villain in the first half, but then later Val becomes the villain in the second half, uh, he's very misogynistic. And I believe that the writer is using this as a shorthand for making him evil, rather than actually portraying him to be evil in some other form or fashion. Yeah, and, and of course, we're not justifying or saying misogyny isn't bad, which of course it is. Of course, it's a horrible trait, but it's very, it's very it comes off as very lazy writing for just, oh, he 
just throwing in his misogyny. You know, he just all of a sudden he has these misogynistic lines, and yeah, he uses um, prostitutes and he has a taste for women, but that doesn't necessarily make him misogynist. And in this story, he's very much you know just out of nowhere starts shouting misogynist things. Yeah, and there's a line in the story about his augmented nervous system making him crazy and violent. And I'm kind of wondering if they're trying to say that the misogyny is not his fault in this story. That comes off as really lazy characterization, though. I mean, like, oh, he's he's not evil, it's just his spine, that's ma- his augmented nervous system that makes him misogynistic. And that's just, that feels like a cop-out. It's like, make him evil, but lead up to it and... I think part of the problem is this is a story where he comes in in one issue and he's gone in the same issue. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that just by the nature of what this is. This is a miniseries and not um, a regular series. But you can make characters in miniseries that do continue on later on as returning villains for for characters. So, I mean, you don't have to make them one and done. So, yeah, you don't have to do that. But it does seem like that's what they're doing here. And I do like the concept of this villain I do like that a man who uses his money to get away with being a horrible person is a good starting point. And then you have the nervous system make him more p- prone to violence and put him over the top. That that could work. It, That'd be it doesn't. It doesn't need the misogyny element. Yeah, if you drop the misogyny element, you have a really interesting villain and a really cool concept. But just drop the whole misogynistic angle because it's not a good thing. <laughs> it's not. It doesn't build the character very much. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. So let, let's move on then to our next point here, Dylan. This one's yours. Yeah, this one's me, um, the lettering. And while I appreciate, I really do appreciate that they're trying to differentiate the uh, the the thought bubbles or whatever between Batwoman slash Oracle and Catwoman. Batgirl. Or Batgirl, excuse me. Yes, Batgirl, not Cassandra Kane. Or uh, Ca- Cat, Cat, Cat. Cassie Kane? No, Cassie Kate Kane. Kane. Kate, yeah. Kate Kane. <laughs> Bats. <laughs> Uh, it was very. Maybe it's just I'm not very good at reading uh, cursive script. I never have been, but I've I found uh, Catwoman script very difficult to read. But I love the idea of having them as very distinct and very stylized towards the character. Like Batgirls was very organized, block letters, very uh, methodical, whereas Catwoman's was this very fancy, frilly cursive. So. Um, I, I I had the same problem you did. I did have uh, quite a bit of difficulty reading Catwoman stuff. A lot of times I was figuring out words by the words around them, by context, when yeah. it was really bad. Um, and I think this is kind of a problem of the era we're in. So the the mid, mid-90s to, I'm not sure where it stops and where you get the... Early, mid-2000s? I would want, I want to say with digital lettering is kind of where it's going to improve, and I don't know when that era starts. But um, they tried to do this, what, what you were praising them for here, which is differentiate the character's speech by uh, either colors or um, background color or scripting or something like that. To prime make example is Deadpool, who has yellow boxes. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a, a prime Marvel example that's, what, 10 years before this, thereabouts? I believe so, yeah. 90, mid-90s? Um, and you see that progressing through all of, a lot of the stories following that. And... Uh, so it's nice that they're trying it, but when they did got into the cursive script for some of them, like we see here with, with Catwoman, it did become very difficult to read a lot of times. And they definitely did improve that with digital lettering, and then you can make them 
kind of different fonts if that yeah. if that in that sense and that's a way to distinguish it plus uh, a lot of times in current uh, bat ones you'll have either the symbol or the color scheme of the character for the box that the words are in which helps as well to determine who's talking i.e nightwing will have blue with black batman will have black with yellow Robin will have like red and black or green and black. Red and green, probably. And green, yeah. And then Batgirl's the one that's the most distinctive with the purple and yellow. Yeah. So I mean, it's. And I know it might be a, a minor, a bit of a minor gripe, but it's definitely something that took me out of the story. And otherwise, you know, really good story was. It was really difficult to read Catwoman's, you know, script. Yeah. It, it, as you said, it's it's minor, but it, it's something we felt like was was worth noting. So we'll move on to our good points here. Um, I really liked Catwoman's characterization. Now, there is one caveat to that, um, and this happens in, in book one. Uh, she's willing to let Val get beat around by Burnham, but only until he's about to kill her. And then she recounts her history with her mother being beaten by her father. And that really seemed like, uh, seemed to me like Burnham striking Val would be enough to get Catwoman to, to jump in if she has that history. And I, I don't get her disconnect. I don't get that w- at what point it becomes her problem. Because the gist of what they're going for on that is that she's a fairly self-centered character, which is in characterization with how she's been portrayed in the past. And she doesn't want to jump in to help others, only to help herself. So I get that. But recounting that history with her with her mother seems like this is one of those areas where that would override her self-centeredness faster than it's portrayed in the story. Yeah, it's definitely something I noticed as well. It's like, why can't, why do, why isn't she jumping in immediately? Why isn't she, you know, try, trying to stop this violence from happening, to stop this, you know, atrocity basically from happening immediately, only waiting till Val's nearly dead? So that's something that, it, it's really odd that they went that way with, with the character. But on the counterpoint to that, her characterization when she's working with Batgirl by using Batgirl as a distraction was right up the line with her character. She had um, Batgirl dress in her outfit, with which was odd because it was Batgirl's – it was Catwoman's outfit underneath – Over the top, over of, top Batgirl. of Batgirl's outfit. Yeah. So when Batgirl tore away her outfit, it was she was in her Batgirl outfit. It was like, that can't be – that's got to be like warm, doesn't it? That and also just seems like how it seems like that kind of a costume because it's kind of a onesie yeah. or a jumpsuit thing. I don't know how you could get out of it as fast as she did. Like it seems like it's all kinds of this is not going to work. I no. mean, I, I get what they were going for is Catwoman was using Batgirl to stand in her place while she finished her her crime, which of course is not what she told Batgirl. You know, she told her she's going to do something else to help stop this guy. And so then she just kind of leaves Batgirl kind of out to dry. A little bit until she comes and rescues her. Yeah, I mean, after she's completed, you know, everything that... that Which is very much in line with Catgirl's character, or Catwoman's characterization. Oh, yeah, I, I absolutely love that that part. Um, and then we'll talk more as far in the second half as how uh, Batgirl or then Oracle learns from that, you know, and, and it's, it's not the same no. the second time around. Yeah. So... The story format's our next point, and I think we both really liked that it was two oversized issues telling two halves of a story that was separated by multiple years. The story was not the two supersized. Right. I mean, they, they, as best as I could tell, they came out in the same month, so I don't know if they were maybe two weeks apart or a week apart or something like that. Um, I couldn't find actual 
uh, publication dates, but they both listed on DC Wikia as being uh, March 2003. So, I mean, they, they came out pretty much right one right after the other. But yeah, it, it goes back in time from where we're currently at continuity-wise, because we're at the point where the second half of the story would be taking place continuity-wise. And then it goes back to tell a Batgirl story with uh, Barbara Gordon as Batgirl, not Cassandra Cain. Yeah, and you know it was uh, it worked really well with the split having Batgirl and Oracle, you know, split the way they did it, and it, it was just it was a really cool format and really cool way to tell a full circle story. And uh, normally, I'm not a huge talker of of the artwork, as as you know, if you've listened to the sh- the show for the time we've been doing it. But there is definitely a distinction in the art styles here. It's two different artists, as, as we'll tell you in, in the credits. And the first part seems a lot rougher, less polished, and it fits with where the characters are at. I mean, with the exception of Catwoman, she seems kind of on her game in, in both. But as far as like Robin, Batman, and Batgirl, they're all de- depicted as their much younger selves and a bit rougher and not you know as polished as they are in, in the current continuity. Yeah, and you had Catwoman in her old purple onesie, as we mentioned. Uh, you know, it, it was just really cool to have that that advance in art style. And I'm not trying to say the artist for the first half is bad or or talked down about his work. It's just it's a very much more polished in the second. I wonder if they had him do that intentionally, or they use like a older style to get that rougher look. Well, I've seen a number of contemporary comics where that is a is a stylistic choice. To have that kind of rougher art style, it's not saying like you're like you were just saying. It's not to disparage the artist. That's their style, you know. And it 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 comes across very stylistically, and and it can be a tonal choice for the story that they're telling. And I think that's what they did here. They picked an artist for the first half that would get convey that tone of this is Batgirl near the beginning of her career, and she's making some mistakes. And then in the second half, when it's Oracle, they picked a a more contemporary-looking style, a more DC House type of style for this era, and was telling kind of a more regular story for the the second half. Yeah, it definitely came across in the art, and it really helped put set the mood and set the time frame for the story. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed that, and like I said, I'm not a huge... Uh, fan or I guess noticer of subtle art differences so I mean it was pretty striking so I noticed it all right next one we have is uh carnivora Val who's the uh wannabe sidekick slash victim in the first one first part of the story and the villain in the second part and and I really like that she tries to partner with Catwoman gets spurned and comes back as a villain now there's pieces of that that are not as well done. I, I felt like the reasons for her feeling spurned in, in the first one are rather questionable. Like she wants to, as you said, she wants to be the sidekick or the um, accomplice for Catwoman partner, kind of the Robin role. Yeah. And Catwoman wants nothing to do with it because that's just not how she works. She's a solo operative. She always has been. Even when she's pulled in in various stories, She's usually off doing her own thing and then providing some information or or a, an item or something back to the the main story. Yeah, she has like a supporting cast, but they're they're supporting in that they're not with her. She doesn't have a sidekick or a uh, associate or whatever. I mean, we see it more later. Like she um, rescues some streetwalker uh, people, I think, later on in in her her story, and they become 
close friends, but they still don't become like a, a Robin type character to her. So in in the per, uh, point in her career where she's at, she doesn't really have a lot of ties to uh, specific people. And so it, it makes sense why why she would reject uh, what Carnivora is, is trying to do. Now, I do want to say as a counterpoint to that, she is definitely someone who's not not right mentally. Who? Uh, Carnivora. Okay. Val. She's someone who definitely has some mental issues, and we don't really get shown that in depth. I, I, I don't know if enough build up for the character, and, and this is going to fall into uh, something in just a second, but we don't really have a lot of uh, characterization for her beyond you know what little we get. She's, uh, she's a party girl. She's got a rich family, and she's spurned by Catwoman. Uh, she's a former friend of Bat Batgirl, and I mean that's all we get now. The thing that that leads into is she's not brought brought back as a villain for Catwoman, which I am. You know, I, I know you are as well. You do, I prefer to see her back as a villain because she's a a character that has a lot of potential to be built on and become a really interesting character, a really interesting player. Yeah, I mean, one thing you said there about you feel like she has some mental instability issues. I didn't get that from the first part of the story. I don't feel like we have enough, as you were saying, but I feel like she's just your typical spoiled rich kid uh, at, at the beginning of the story, and that's who, who Barbara Gordon knew in high school, and they were on, I think, the gymnastics team together. Something like that, yeah. Uh, and then they run into each other again, you know, at, at that point in where Barbara's in, investigating the, the girl who came from Ohio and was killed by uh, writer Burnham. And then we don't really get any kind of characterization for Val at that point. She just gets selected by the vampire, taken back to Ryder, and then the story just just jumps in. So I definitely would agree with you in that if they brought this character back, that's something we could explore and maybe see if there's more in her history that would explain the choices that she made as far as when she felt spurned because Catwoman chose to have Batgirl stand in for her rather than to have Val. Val stand in for her. That's kind of the crux of sending her down the, her villain path. And I feel like there's not enough given to that. And maybe if they brought the character back at a later point, that's something that could be explored. Yeah, and it's something I would love to see explored. I think we both like the idea of Carnivora uh, as a villain and as a name because that's a really good name. But, you know, it's something that we don't really get, which is disappointing. And then also, you, you mentioned it briefly with, with Catwoman that in the first half of this book, she's in her traditional purple cat suit with the tail. And then in the second half, she's in the modern costume, the, the black leather with the goggles. And Carnivora's costume is always that purple one. So you have kind of this visual juxtaposition. Juxtap yeah, of classic Catwoman in Carnivora's costume and modern Catwoman in Catwoman's costume that I think plays really well together. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's a really cool visual, like striking visual. Now you, you, you mentioned something about Man Bat. I did? Oh, yeah. She's kind of Catwoman's version of Man Bat uh, to me because Man Bat is this, the guy, the, the scientist guy who in, ac either accidentally or on purpose, depending on the origin, injects himself and turns into a a stronger, more powerful bat, more bat-like creature. And Val has gone to kind of the same place that Ryder Burnham got his uh, 
in, is neuro, neurological implants from to make herself bigger, faster, stronger, and then she has real claws. So it's she's kind of turning into more of a cat than Catwoman. She's she's like a trying to be a better version of Catwoman. Catwoman 2.0, like we saw with uh, Rhino in that one Spider-Man story. Oh, God, I hate <laughs> Rhino 2.0. <laughs> All right, next point we have is uh, Batgirl and Oracle. And what I this is something I really loved was the detective work that Barbara Gordon does as Batgirl. So are you talking about the first half? In the first half, yes, okay. yes. In the first half, she does phenomenal detective work. And that's so rad to see, especially considering Barbara Gordon's background, um, you know, being Commissioner Gordon's... See, is is that her in this story niece? Yeah, the niece in this story, which is weird to me. I was like, "What's what?" Okay, oh, well, it depends on the various um, origin telling. So I'm not. Sh- I honestly, I can't remember now if New Fifty Two they've made it actually the daughter and not the niece, because I think the original one is niece. Okay, so it's either niece or daughter. In this one, it's for sure niece. It, yeah, but she's a niece in this one, but she grew up with with Commissioner Gordon, so. It, her having that kind of detective background, working with Batman, which I think uh, most of our favorite Batman stories is when he does actual detective work and doesn't just beat up people. Yeah, although in this story, he's... He's absent. I think the portrayal, of, and this is something I didn't write down, but I think the portrayal of Batman in this is almost entirely her mental image of of what Batman is at that time in her career because it's very scolding and Stern. not supportive and... Like if you remember the first few times you see uh, Batman, Batman and Robin in that in that first issue, they're like, "Oh, she's going to fail." You know, well, we shouldn't have let her out there and all this stuff. And yeah. I think that's her projecting her insecurities. I, I think that is. I mean, it's not actually Batman. It's at this point, Batman's somewhere fi- fighting, uh, fighting, fading, fighting Ra's, yeah. F- fighting Ra's al Ghul, and Robin's there, and he's kind of provide. He checks up on her, not in a you know checking up on her sort of way but checking up on her as a friend yeah and that's that's the that's the weird part is because the very beginning of the story it's her mental projection and robin is behaving a lot like batman but then once he actually shows up and they're in the same physical space he has a much different attitude so it's kind of like she doesn't quite know know exactly how to think about Batman and Robin because she's so early in her career. And very insecure. Yeah. It was really interesting. It goes along with the art as far as showing that period in, in her life and where she was at. Definitely. But she does really good detective work. And the other thing is we have a totally different uh, level of ability and familiarity with Catwoman between the two halves of the story. So in the first half... She doesn't know who Catwoman is, beyond that she's Catwoman. In the second one, she's calling her Selina. I didn't catch that. You didn't? Yeah, no. she's calling her Selina in uh, the second half of the story when she's directing her around, uh, trying to get away from uh, Carnivosa. Uh, I mean, I probably, I mean I, I, I'm sure I read it and I ju- just didn't think anything of it because she pretty much would know who Catwoman was, but now that you mention it, she probably didn't know her identity in the first half. No, she's, you know very early on in her career so yeah so it was a really cool touch to have this really cool juxtaposition hey we got to use that word twice in this recording of the characterization of uh, barbara gordon as a novice versus a much more experienced wizened character yeah and you mentioned the detective work for batgirl in the first half 
that's also somewhat of a juxtaposition within Batgirl herself because that part's done really well, but then she makes these mistakes of trusting Catwoman and you know other things like Bout falling off the 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 building edge because she doesn't know exactly how far she's able to jump safely and that sort of thing. So I mean, th- there's good points to her in the first one, but also a lot of mistakes. Which is a good characterization. It is, but it also is foreshadowing, I, I would say, or and since this is written after they've already established her character, maybe um, backwards foreshadowing, <laughs> Back telling something from the past that's foreshadowing the, the future of when she's Oracle <laughs> and when she's able to gather all this information to help out the Bat family. You kind of see the beginnings of that with her detective work in the beginning of the story. Definitely, and it's a really cool thing to see them develop a character even in this short period of time there's amazing character development yeah and it's always nice i find to get a good barbara gordon story i mean we oh, don't definitely well i like oracle i still really do like barbara gordon batgirl so it was good to get both in this story <laughs> fair enough fair enough so i think that leads us over to our uh, rating portion yeah, so, this is it's a little bit of a shorter episode just because the, the topic work was a little bit shorter. Yeah. I mean, two oversized issues, so it's about four regular issues. Yeah, so it's a little bit shorter of reading material, but I think we got some good conversation in. You want to start on the rating there, All Dylan? right, yeah, sure. You know, for it's not a perfect story by any stretch of the measure. We definitely, as we listed, had some issues. Even in our good points, there were issues. But overall, it's still a really good story. It's still a very entertaining story. It's If you love Batgirl and Oracle, if you love Catwoman... This is a phenomenal story to read, and it's amazing. Like we mentioned, the characterization is great. The writing, aside from the text boxes for Catwoman, are great. The every, Everything is just so good in it, and I really enjoyed it. It's uh, one I'd definitely recommend. I'm going to give it four Batwoman or, or Batgirl orangs out of five. Batarangs? Bat, Batgirl orangs. Batgirl batarangs? Yes. <laughs> All right, um... I agree with you that this is a really fun story. Uh, I think I've mentioned here, or I know I've mentioned it a number of times in recordings we've done, that I like a mix of stories. So I like the really heavy, world-changing type stories. You know, I like the, the character progression stories. And then I like just fun adventure stories. And this is kind of a fun adventure story. It really doesn't tell you anything you don't already know about the characters. It just kind of reinforces it and gives you another example of characterization for those characters. It's a lot of fun. Um, it has those elements that we weren't too happy with, but they're overshadowed by how enjoyable this story is. Plus, it's something you can read in an afternoon. You know, it's it's like 100 pages. So, I mean, even if you're a slow reader like I am, it, you can get it done relatively quickly. Um, and once you know what all the, the words are, you don't have to struggle through uh, reading reading the, the challenging script. Um, I would like to sin- see some of the stuff carry through, like we mentioned, but unfortunately it doesn't, um, but that's okay. You don't necessarily need it to, to carry on to enjoy that what we're given, given here. So I, I'm almost in agreement with you. I would say a 3.5 batterings out of five, um, just for those re- reasons that I mentioned that the nothing carries through and the misogyny and stuff. So, um, overall we recommend reading this story, uh, back birds of prey, Batgirl, Catwoman, Catwoman, Oracle, or Catwoman, Batgirl, Catwoman, Oracle. Yes. So the first one's listed as Batgirl, Catwoman, and the second one's listed as Catwoman, Oracle. I yes. Think. Yes. <laughs> uh, but it's collected as Catwoman, Oracle. Yes. All right. So what'd you guys think? 
leave us a comment at thebatmanuniverse.net on the episode page. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the story, the show, and how we're doing. While at thebatmanuniverse.net, you can read in-depth comic reviews, listen to the other podcasts that they offer, and get all your Batman news. It's a one-stop shop for all things Batman. And if you like what we do and would like to hear more of us, our other podcast, Arc Reactions, can be found at arcreactionspodcast.blogspot.com. And our next story will be Hush next month. Uh, the credits for this story, it is collected as Birds of Prey, Catwoman, Oracle, as I mentioned, and May 2003 was when this was released. It was written by John Francis Moore. And the artist for the first half was Derek Robertson. The second half was David Ross. And the editors were Matt Idelson and Nachi Castro. Thanks for listening.